everybody. This is Jed Dairyberry. That's dairy like a cow, berry like a fruit. You can call me fruity cow if you want to, but the best way to remember my name is if it doesn't rhyme, you didn't say it right. And I'm excited to be on the Fire to Lead podcast. We are about ready to get this show on the road. Join us now for a fun, fun time. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Aspire leaders, I am so ecstatic about this conversation because I have met this phenomenal educator multiple times in person, and I've seen his magic as he is presented at conferences. He's an author, just a phenomenal teacher, and I am so excited for this conversation. Jed, thank you so much for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm equally fangirling that I'm on your show. So <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks for saying the sweet things, but I'm excited to be a part of the amazing work that you're doing here. Well, I appreciate that, buddy. So you are traveling, I know, all over the country and, and working with teachers, but you also have other roles, and you have a lot of passion projects, and we're going to talk a lot about mm-hmm. all the wonderful things that you're doing in the classroom and outside of that. But if you wouldn't mind sharing just with my audience as far as your educational and leadership background. Yeah, so I've been teaching since 2001. I started as a first grade assistant. And a lot of people don't know that about me, but that was my first year. And I count that as my first year. A lot of people say, oh, well, my first year was whenever you had your own classroom. But if you have been an assistant or a paraprofessional in any grade level, you are doing the work of a teacher. And I was an assistant for five first grade classrooms. And I I worked my tail off, if, if I can be so bold to say that. Since 2001, I've taught first grade, second grade, third grade, been a director of professional development for a statewide organization here in South Carolina. I've worked in higher ed as an adjunct since around 2010, various classes that I've taught. Um, I currently am an adjunct for the University of South Carolina system. I teach two courses for them, the Children's Lit, and I teach Fine Arts for the elementary curriculum. And then I also have a course for Mount Holyoke in Western Massachusetts. Arts for Social Advance is an arts and social justice course that I absolutely love. And when I'm not doing all that, I'm out there, like you said, working with schools and districts across the country. Sometimes I go to a conference and do workshops or keynotes or something like that. The books that I've written help propel me into those spots. But my heart is always going to be teaching and even more so now teaching the teachers how to be better teachers. Right. So uh, that's the bulk of my work now. Jed, I wanted to let you know that I was a paraprofessional before I became a teacher also in special education. And uh, Mm -hmm. I do count those years also because I -hmm. I didn't feel like I was working my tail off also (laughs) and getting in the classroom (laughs) and learning how to become a teacher. And uh, that was a great experience. So uh, kudos to you for doing that. I thought for myself, it it bolstered my confidence and the skills that I had in the classroom to to become even a better teacher in my, my first year officially. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of times I do slip up and say, well, my first year was 2003 because that was the first year that I had my own first grade classroom with my name on the door. Yep. But as I've evolved into the career, uh, a lot of those students that I had when I was an assistant, they still think of me like I was one of their teachers yeah. and they've to me on social media. And, and so, you know, I, I count that year because mm-hmm. uh, it was definitely a year as an educator, maybe a different role in education, but I definitely was an educator. So kudos to you for for doing that also. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about (laughs) what you're doing now with teaching the teachers. So I know (laughs) that me and you share the love of art. Mm -hmm. You you do a lot of drawing and then there's also the 
the whole play component that I would love to dive mm-hmm. into. So if you yeah. don't mind just sharing like what you're working with the teachers now and what are you trying to infuse? So my goal everywhere, whether I'm doing a workshop, a, a full day of PD at a, a district or a conference or in my classes, I said this yesterday, it, it, three goals, equip, encourage, and empower. Equip you with new ideas, new tools, new networks of people, networks of thinking. Encourage you because the work is hard and I'm going to bring the learning in a fun, meaningful, and relevant way so that your spirit feels uplifted through the work and not bogged down. And then empowered to take what we do together and apply it in your own world, whether it be in your classroom, the way you live your life on a day-to-day basis, the way you decorate your home office. If you're not able to see my office, it's a, it's a, it's a fun space. It's, it's full. A lot of people say it's too busy, but this is my space. And so if I don't think it's too busy, that's uh, my friend Tabitha Brown. She says, that's my business. <laughs> and I like that. So I, this is a happy place for me. And, and like you said, it does invite me to create and make and do in this space. And that helps me to help teachers. Specifically, the, the way that I, I feel like I'm helping the profession most, you know, I, I did mention the books, but my courses that I teach, I'm literally training the next generation of teachers. The children's lit course is part of the library sciences department. So the lots of people who are going to be school librarians come through that program. And then my art and the elementary curriculum, that's all about elementary students who are uh, elementary teachers to be, you know, come through there and I teach them how to bring the arts into their regular content. And so that is really the heart of my work. I love that, knowing that I'm going to be able to impact the future teachers. And a lot of times people have said, oh, you left the elementary classroom. All those students are going to miss out. And, you know, there are 18 to 24 students that would miss out on me being there. But I have 18 to 24 college students in each class that are going to be multiplied times 18 to 24 that my influence will influence those teachers and they will influence their students. And so um, I, I do think of the work that I do is very important, uh, very much needed. And I don't, I don't take it lightly, the role that I have in education now. It's, it's, it's an honor to do what I do. Yeah, I love that you've expanded your role in, in outreach too. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree. I feel like my role now is exactly the same type of deal where, yes, I could be impacting maybe a a thousand kids as an administrator, but now I get to work with administrators mm-hmm. all over the country. So it's, it's right. even, like you said, yeah. it's more yeah. the impact. So yeah. let's talk about your books because you, you brought it up and I got to see you, you know, a couple times, uh, one at Teach Better 22, but then also at FETC. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, like I said, you were just amazing and providing some like really fun activities with those <clears> participants. <throat> and if you wouldn't mind sharing about your books and what they're all about. Well, the, the first book I wrote with Dr. Julie Jones. She's a full-time professor at Converse University here in South Carolina, and it's called The Playful Classroom, The Power of Play for All Ages. And the way that book started, because Julie and I, we wanted something for our college students where we could show them how to make uh, learning meaningful, relevant, and fun, and that it was more than just fluff. You know, a lot of people, you know, I, I love my academic friends, but a lot of friends in academia and a lot of administrators, too, they, they see play as this secondary thing that you do at recess or you do in your free time, your downtime. But there's so many ways to incorporate play into the content 
so that it makes the learning stick. And when you start studying the neuroscience of what play does in your brain, when how your brain reacts to playful learning experiences, you cannot deny that it should have a front row seat in the way that we deliver information. I think back often to the way that I learned my left and my right when I was in first grade. My PE teacher, Sarah Alston, who is still teaching, she's in year like 53 of teaching. I can't believe she's still teaching. God bless her. But she taught us our left and our right by teaching us a line dance called the alley cat. And I, I'm 45 years old. I've been out of first grade for a long time. But in my mind, I can see little six-year-old me on the stage in that cafeteria where we had PE learning that song. And I still think about my left and my right because of that song, because play made that learning stick. Fast forward to chemistry in high school. There wasn't one bit of playfulness in that class that I had. I made 100A for my average for that semester because I learned how to play the game of the test that I was given, but I didn't learn any information, right? I can't tell you anything. For for decades, I still didn't know if it was the periodic chart or the periodic table. And even as I say it right now, I'm like, which one is it? Chart or table? Chart or table? Um, and it matters to people who are in chemistry if you, if you call it the right thing. But it makes me think, what if my chemistry teacher had made um, a little table and we acted it out where we learned the elements and we were sitting at a table while we did it, you know, then maybe I would have remembered it in a different way. Uh, Because really, our brains are wired to learn that way. There's a reason, you know, that back even in the earliest human days, hieroglyphics were little doodles on a cave. And there was even that, even though that was a way to communicate and it, it was also a, a, an art form that people learn how to, you know, use pictures to connect words. And that's because what happens in your brain, that's using your left and your right side of your brain. Words are on one side, pictures are on the other. It crosses over and it, it makes the learning stick when we can bring that kind of learning experience using the whole mind. I love the work of um, Daniel Pink, A Whole New Mind. It, it played a pivotal role in my work as an educator, I remember when I was in, uh, it was around 2007, so 2008, I hadn't been teaching too long, but we did a book study with a whole new mind. And it, it just, it just shook me. I was like, oh, you know, I was so excited to learn about the brain and understand how to make certain things happen in the brain by doing certain experiences, how to release those neurotransmitters. If you see your kids are in a slump, you know, there's a, there's a neurotransmitter that their body will make and release so that that slump can be pushed through and get and, and gotten over. And, and you can, you can make that happen. You can actually manipulate the brain into making those things come out. I just, when I started, when we got into the research of this, we just knew that the book Julie and I wanted to write wasn't just for our college students. It was for every educator, whether you're in a full-time classroom, whether you're an assistant an administrator, if you're a homeschool parent, a private school, if you work in a, a business role where you train the trainer, so to speak, the playful classroom is you because you have a classroom there on site at your corporation. And as we got started to get feedback when that book came out in 2020, we started getting requests for, hey, this is good for education, but we want this for our life, our personal lives. How can we have a playful life? And so we wrote the book, The Playful Life, uh, to follow up The Playful Classroom. And Honestly, the two go hand in hand, because if you cultivate a playful life, it will spill over into your work, whether it be the classroom that you teach in at a school or at your corporation or wherever. 
I also was thinking too, as you were talking and seeing your work too, it's, it's phenomenal. So I'll have the links in the show notes for those who want to pick up a copy of both, because I think it's still valuable because play does have a place in schools. You are 100%. There are folks that Mm -hmm. think that's like a negative connotation. Like we're not going to do that. That's, you know, especially in secondary being in that world for so long, I know it was Mm -hmm. kind of a, an uphill battle with some to say, this is something that needs to be embedded into our schools. And I'm also thinking that those who are probably in the school systems where the play is integrated, that they're probably going to have that skill later on in life. And so I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. So for those who, you know, are like, I want more play in my life. Is there other aspects that it enhances? Maybe mental health, maybe healing over a difficult time. Uh-oh. I'm just curious on like some of the research all things the, that you've. All of those. <laughs> okay. Let's talk all about that pl- then. <laughs> play helps every so we talk about two different things in both books play as a behavior versus play as a mindset or in correspondence to not versus because they're not competing most people think of play as a behavior you know i'm going to go out and build a sandcastle or i'm going to paint a picture or i'm going on a scavenger hunt you know it's an act of play right a behavior but the playful mindset is your approach to daily task for example you know, when you're folding laundry, most people don't just enjoy folding the laundry. Most people put it in the basket and it sits there a day or two. You dump it on the bed and have good intentions, but then you go to bed that night and you put it back in the basket. You haven't done it. Okay, Every I feel attacked I've right now, I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, it is humanity. It is across the board. There might be one out of 10,000 that likes to fold laundry. So it's a tedious task, right? It's a mundane, but it's gotta be done. I like to make it a game to find like the most efficient way to match the socks to the most efficient way to, to fold my shirt. Or if I can find a little song to make a rhythm while I'm folding it, I'll tell you recently, I found like, because of this playful mindset approach to my laundry, I had a life changing event just two weeks ago while I was folding my laundry, I was matching all my running socks. And then I put those in the the sock drawer with all of my other socks. Right. And then I had my running shorts and I was folding them and putting them in the little basket uh, on the shelf where I keep my running shorts. And I was like, you know, why am I putting my running socks in one spot and my running shorts in another? Why don't I take a pair of socks and put it in the pocket of each running short? That way, when I grab the shorts, I'm automatically grabbing the sock. I'm telling you, it has changed my whole life in the morning. Like, I don't have to dig through the drawer to see which ones are the running socks or the the slip-ons or whatever, you know, they're just, they're already in the pocket ready to go. And it's because of that playful mindset that I figured that out. You know, when you ask the question about mental health and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have, I go to therapy every other week. I had some, some pretty uh, traumatic things that had happened to me as, as a kid, having a playful mindset, a playful approach to life as an adult helps me not to, let those traumatic events pull me down. And it's something that I've worked on in our therapy. There's a a whole career of play therapists out there who are using play across the board. It's not just for kids. It's for all of us. Um, I I, I wrote a book in between the playful classroom, the playful life. I wrote it with my friend, um, Janet Taylor, Dr. Janet Taylor from Florida. And she's a psychiatrist there. And the book is called the courageous classroom. And it's uh, subtitle is creating a, culture of safety for students to learn and thrive. And the heart of the book is we're talking about how trauma and fear 
have impacted students, but also how it's impacted teachers, both carrying the trauma of our students, but also carrying our own trauma that we're dealing with. And I will tell you, writing that book, it, it felt a lot like a therapy session since I was writing with, you know, a, a therapist. Um, but we talked about how trauma can be healed through the power of play. And, you know, the brain has this unique special ability, neuroplasticity. People know that word. It's your brain's ability to rewire itself. And when you go through a traumatic event, your brain wires itself to react in a way that protects you from that future trauma. But over time, through healing, um, you can rewire your brain to act in a completely different way. It takes practice. It takes time. And that's where that playful mindset is so important. Repeating those daily affirmations. You might have a silly one that you say. You might have something warm and fuzzy that you say. A, a mantra that I say often to myself is start by starting. It's a quote that I read one time by Meryl Streep, of all people. I don't think of her as a, she's a movie star, right? She's an amazing movie star. But like when I think of quotables, you think Dr. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa. Those are people that, you know, um, but Meryl Streep said start by starting. Um, one of my um, my traumas in life, you know, I uh, used to get made fun of a lot as a kid. And that and that put a lot of fear in me that I was always afraid of uh, standing out, of doing things. And, and it kept me from starting and dreaming a lot of my ideas. Um but that quote by Meryl Streep, start by starting, encourages me each and every day to try something new, to to be playful. Um, recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I made my very first reel on Instagram of me dancing and that felt so exposed, you know, but I had so much fun making it. And I kept thinking, start by starting, you know, just get out of there. And people liked it. And they were like, oh, my God, we love this. You know, it's such a cool way to see Jen. But it, it's the playful mindset that is helping me cultivate those playful behaviors. And both of those together are helping me process and work through the trauma. Of course, with my therapist's help, you know, don't try to do it on your own. Go go find somebody to work through it with you. Those are the three books in a nutshell um, and, you know, how they connect with, you know, mental health and, you know, not just your mental health, your physical health. If you dig into the research, the neurotransmitters that are released, the neoprenephrine, the endorphins, the dopamine, the serotonin, all of that can help lower blood pressure, moderate your heart rate if you have, if it's too fast or too slow, you know, because play is often physical. So it, there's all kind of loaded benefits there too. Man, Jed, I, I just love what you're talking about. I think it's so relevant to what's going on right now and the science and the data that's coming out as far as, you know, what students are going through at home and how it's, you know, their behavior is changing at the school because of those experiences that they're going through. And a lot of folks mm -hmm. just don't know how to work through that with the students. So uh, yeah. I love the third book that you're talking about. And I, I of course, I'll have that <laughs> that link for everyone too. I was thinking, <laughs> I don't have that book. So I need to go on Amazon today and pick that up because um, that's yeah. extremely interesting. And I kind of geek out about the neuroscience and, and the connection yeah. between trauma and our students. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, buddy, you have your hands in so many different things. And I want to, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to keep talking about all the wonderful projects you've got going on. Let's talk about your podcast. As a podcaster myself, yeah. I, I yeah. also 
lead a podcast network with Teach Better. So this is like a passion of mine. So I always mm-hmm. love hearing origin stories of where the podcast came from. Yeah. Why did you push record and who should be listening? <laughs> okay. So let me answer that last question first. Who should be listening? Yes. Everybody should be listening. Perfect. This is a podcast for every everybody. It's not a teacher podcast. This is called We Are Playful. For years and years, while Julie and I were writing the first book, people who follow us on social media knew that we were writing the book in our local coffee shop. And people would say, oh, we would love to come sit with you at the coffee shop. We would just love to come and be there. And we even had people that would come to town and go to that coffee shop, whether we were there or not, just because they wanted to experience our coffee shop. It's the Little River Coffee Bar, downtown Spartanburg. And back in March of this year, we had a um, play conference and we had 56 people that were a part of our event and nine states represented. And the first place every one of them wanted to go was the coffee shop. And so because back in January, I said, Julie, I said, we should just record a podcast of us sitting here at this, at this table. I said, one of the things that keeps me from starting the podcast is that a lot of podcasts that I listened to sounded very professional. You mentioned that you know how to edit. I don't know how to edit. And honestly, I didn't even want to learn how, you know, like I could have Googled it and figured it out, but I just didn't want to. And I said, I'm just going to hit record on this uh, phone and we're going to see what it sounds like. That was the first episode of We Are Playful. We just hit, I literally have the voice memo open on my phone. I hit record. We say, hey, everybody, this is Jed and Julie. This is the We Are Playful podcast. And we just start talking. We don't have a script. We don't know what we're going to talk about. We don't know. I mean, it is the it is a wild ride sometimes. We've talked about all kinds of different things. Uh, some of the episodes uh, have gotten a little heavy because we talk about current events sometimes in there. But it's basically two friends sitting at a coffee shop. We're not always at the co- same coffee shop. Sometimes we go to a different one. We recorded from our favorite restaurant downtown while we're having lunch. Uh, so there's ambient noise, uh, but you can hear us fine. You know, it's not like it's a distracting noise, but it, it has been so much fun for me to kind of share the friendship that I have with Julie, with everybody, and for everybody to participate in it. We just had 7,500 downloads since January, so we thought that was pretty fun. Meryl Streep's words start by starting echo in our head every time we hit record. And here we are. We're almost on season four. We change seasons based on the actual season. So season four will begin when fall starts. And then season five will be when winter starts and so on and so on. And it's just for us a way to keep track of it. And we absolutely love it so much. It's been so much fun. Well, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you get into your favorite podcast platform and and hit that subscribe button as soon as possible because it's almost like being a fly on the mm-hmm. wall of a coffee shop listening to you guys talk. And yeah. that's, that's wonderful. I love that format. You had mentioned yeah. play, the play conference and I want to learn a little bit yeah. more about that. Is that something that's reoccurring? Is this, was this just a one-time event? Well, What's going on? Uh, well, as a matter of fact, we hope to do it again. We did it back in March of 23 and we are shooting for March of 24 because the day that we held the play conference, uh, the city of Spartanburg, the, the mayor issued a proclamation making it an official day of play. Our friend from city council, Megan Smith, came and read the proclamation. And we got to feature our little downtown of Spartanburg. And we had events up and down the street throughout the day that made the, the day playful. The event space that we have it at can only hold 100 in auditorium style. And we wanted it to be playful, so we set up tables, and they can get about 65 in there if we do tables. 
So it's a small event. It's an intimate event, but we go through the principles of the book, but we also create playful experiences so that you are engaged in the the type of learning and, and playfulness that we want to talk about. So we talk a little bit and then you play a little bit and then we talk a little bit and then we play a little bit. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And we already had people asking us, are you doing it again? And, and our, our simple answer is yes, we haven't put anything out there just yet. When we do, um, it'll probably be either the week after Christmas or right, right around January, uh, the first week of January. So stay tuned for that. I was going to say, <laughs> maybe we can get you on the road and you just have a, a traveling tour. Well, that is also something we've talked about. I know there's lots of, of teacher conferences out there, Teach Better, one that I love, that I've been a part of. One of the things that we want to do with ours is keep it at 100 people or less. We want to deepen the connections. You know, I love the ISTE conference. It's amazing. But there's 15,000 people there. You hardly... Sometimes when I go to ISTE, I don't even get to see the people that I'm closest to because our schedules are like insane, you know? Well, there's a sea of people um, that you have to like fish through to get to wherever you want to go. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we think for for our mission, we want to keep them smaller. So we've actually talked about, you know, how to possibly go on the road with it. We just don't know what that looks like. You know, oftentimes in the conference world, they find the big cities and they go there. But we would love to go to like the medium to small towns like our Spartanburg, the county is 300,000 people, but the city is like 33,000 people. So it's not huge, but we, we love that little feel uh, to those places. And so who knows? Uh, where's your town? Where are you in Colorado? I'm in Colorado Springs, a little bit bigger than uh, okay. 33,000. Yeah, it's it's a little bit bigger. I would invite you in a second though, buddy, because you yeah. know what I'm going to work. And that sounds, I love the idea of like having an intimate space. I think that mm-hmm. the people connect so much easier in, yeah. in that setting too. So uh, just a, a brilliant concept. And I don't know, my two cents, I, I would love for you to travel and, you know, get to speak to so many people. And you're right. I think a lot of conferences I'll... are giant and they're at these, you know, big cities, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having that small town feel and also the small. Well, if you have any list, the, the number one thing prohibiting us right now is just, we need some funding. Yeah. We need to be able to, we able to need to be able to get to those places. And we're working on that. We're, we're working on some partnerships that we think, might help us make that happen. Um, but, you know, as an educator, it, you don't have a lot of cash on reserve for things like that. So we're trying to figure out paths because here's the thing too, we want it to be very affordable for the people who participate. Yep. Um, our event here in our event here in Spartanburg was only a hundred dollars um, and that covered everything except your lunch. Um, but we were right downtown. So there was lunch everywhere, <laughs> you know, so it was just, um, it was a great experience. And I, I, Appreciate that encouragement to to start by starting looking into travel and how that might play out. Well, that's that's my goal in this conversation is really just to inspire you to go even yeah. further than what you're doing. Inspire, inspire <laughs> to lead. <laughs> so, you know, I want to inspire aspiring leaders with uh, this question. So let's talk about things that they can do tomorrow or next week to enhance your leadership journey. You have had a lot of different roles in education that I know you've got, you know, a lot to pull from. So if there's maybe one mm-hmm. or two things they can do, what would you advise them? One thing, and it's going to follow up to the second thing, read, read, pick up books and read them, read stories of other people, read, read fiction, read nonfiction, read memoirs, read what other people in your field are writing and talking about, read just silly stuff that makes you happy and giggle. I, I was not a reader the first, I don't know. 
eight or nine years of my professional journey as an educator. I won an award. I was the Spartanburg County Reading Teacher of the Year. And while I was getting the award, they asked me to share a little bit about what I was currently reading. And with egg on my face, thankfully, I was quick on my feet like I, I am often. I said, oh, you know me. I teach second grade. We read a lot of um, Berenstain Bears and Arthur and all those things. And everybody chuckled and we moved on. And then I went to my school librarian and I said, I don't know what you do with reluctant readers, but do it with me. And wave your magic wand. And sure enough, Elizabeth Graham turned me into a reader and I have not looked back. I, I consume books as fast as I can get through them. But that leads me to the second thing. One book, and I, you, I knew you were going to ask this question, um, is called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. And it's written by Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. A lot of people connect with that book or know that book. But um, Big Magic was a life-changing book for me because it identified the number one reason why I don't start by starting or I don't um, put myself out there more. It is because I'm afraid. And once you start working and nibbling away at that fear, it is, it is amazing what will happen, what things will come your way, because people want authenticity. They want people who can put aside their fears and live unashamedly who they are and, and, Big Magic helped me to do that. So any leader out there has to be able to um, embrace creative living because every person, regardless of where you're at, you're going to encounter a problem that you've never had to solve before. And you got to figure out in the moment how to solve it. And creative thinking, creative living is what's going to help you do that. And that this, that's why I, I, I preach this book. <laughs> I talk this book uh, everywhere I go. Um one day I hope to meet Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, also, she should probably write me a commission check because I've probably sold 10,000 of these books. <laughs> I um, love it. Yeah, but uh, that, that's my advice. Read and then and then read that book specifically um, and then get, get yourself going. Well, that's beautiful advice. And I want folks to connect with you as soon as possible. And especially if there's anyone out there that's listening that is a part of a company that wants to sponsor the play conference. So for those, yes, yes. Right. (laughs) So for uh, all those people listening that, you know, I am hoping connect with you soon, very, very soon. How can they do that? Um, Well, the number one way is obviously social media. Uh, It's at Mr. Derryberry. My name isn't uh, phonetic. So, but if you Google Jed Derryberry and, uh, any format of Dairyberry spelling, you'll probably find me because there's not there's not but one of me that I know of. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, so social media, my website is mrderryberry.com. Um, we also have a website for our books, weareplayful.com and the podcast, We Are Playful. Um, and once you get to my website, all my social media stuff is there. So maybe that's a good starting place because um, then you can also see the workshops and and things that I do around the country um, and maybe you invite me to your school or to your district or to your business. I, I also do trainings for people, uh, for corporations that need a boost for their, their staff. Get in touch with me and let's make some fun happen. Well, I am so happy that I had this conversation with you. I appreciate your time so much. I love everything you're doing around the country. I know you're inspiring so many folks and don't stop dancing, buddy. I, I love that you're getting out of your comfort zone and doing all these <laughs> things on social media, the podcast, you're writing all these books, yeah. you're just doing yeah. phenomenal, phenomenal work, and I, I just feel extremely blessed to, to know you and call you my friend. Yeah, same to you, man. Thanks for having me on, and hopefully our paths will cross in person again soon. <laughs>